Hi friends, Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good morning, afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this. Welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Heath, and the other host is... Josie Jimenez. And this is a podcast about making space for yourself, both literally and figuratively, and for others. Josie. Important question. How the hell are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm getting a uh, COVID vaccine later today. So praise God, praise the Lord. Uh, I haven't caught COVID, so I win, I guess. (laughs) We had a meeting yesterday. No, it's fine. We had a meeting yesterday. And as we're walking up to it, you were talking about getting the vaccine. And then you're like, I'm not trying to be smug, but if I get the vaccine and never got COVID, then I'm going to be like, social distancing worked. And I laughed really hard because <laughs> I had just re-listened to this episode where you talked about how um, quarantine life is your best life. <laughs> like in the start, you're like, yeah, truly. when we were talking about liking to go out to um, concerts and stuff, you're like, that's my nightmare. No, thank you. So Mm-mm-mm. there was a I've always been very out. conscious of groups of people. Of what? Um. This book came out that was like uh, last year about introverts and how they rule the world. And I think this year has proved that y'all rule the world. I mean, I'm an introvert too, but in a different way. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So one of the things you said to me yesterday too, is that you feel a little bit emotional about getting the vaccine. Is that okay that I just said that? Uh, Yeah, I don't give a shit um, about my public persona. (laughs) I um, probably should, but anyways. I feel emotional because my partner and I have lived in some state of constant fear while trying to ignore it. Um, So being not reckless, but semi like, I'm going to go hang out in my friend's backyard when we're all wearing masks because I'm a rebel, which is not very rebellious, right? But um, it felt rebellious because I have an overwhelming pain disorder. And now I don't have to worry about catching COVID, which could potentially be um debilitating slash life-threatening for all I freaking know yeah that's the thing that's hard too because we don't know exactly what causes your illness it's just like mm-hmm. what what is the core source of it and so we don't know how to react to something like COVID or any sort of yeah. autoimmune reaction that you could have because it's inflammation based too and they think COVID mm-hmm. um from all the studies I've been reading lately is um at least partly, if not completely um, related to inflammation. So we do not need that. No one needs it. Um, but especially my uh, my biggest fear over the last year in some ways has been because you and I are good friends and we also work together um, and I have a kick-ass immune system. My fear has always been getting you sick um, or you know, I also think you don't know what your immune system will do. So I got COVID. Um, I was actually being really safe and careful with social distancing, but still got it. So it happens. But um, I will say the lingering effect is that I get more exhausted, 
than I've ever gotten in my entire life. And it is really hard to know if it's because I turned 40 this year or COVID (laughs) that like by four (laughs) o'clock in the afternoon, I can't even think. So I have to like stack my day differently where if something needs to be thought about, I have to do it in the morning, um, which has never been my jam. So that's kind of a hard thing. Or I have to go on like a super long run or something just to wake my brain back up because I get my body is exhausted. But the truth is usually by the end of the day, I don't even feel like running, which is a weird thing for me. So I'm so glad you didn't get it. Hooray. Um, I'm excited that that's happening for you today. Um, Anything else on the horizon that you're excited about? Um, just a lot of work, always working, you know, workly, workly, workly. Yeah, it's true. But you did take a vacation, which I'm really proud of you for. Yeah, I mean, it was like a day and a half. So I probably need another one eventually when I have more time. Here's what I'm going to say. You're never going to have more time. So just take the vacay. Yeah, but I have deadlines. I know. I got shit to do. I understand. It's all right. We Mexicans are built for resiliency, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I'm excited, actually, for that conversation when we talked to Halima Nash about taking sabbaticals. Um, all right. Well, I myself am doing my first Instagram live today. Super nervous about that. I've never done one. Have you ever done an Instagram live? I've participated in one. But yeah, I've done them before. They're fun. I do random ones. You do? You just like hop on and go live? Yeah, the first time I ever made pasta from scratch, I did it live on Instagram because I thought it was funny. (laughs) Did you do that with your um, other co-host of your other show, Spencer? Well, no, I just did it. Eventually, she did come on because she's uh, of Italian descent, whatever that means in America. But she uh, taught me how to make pasta. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. So yeah, Kevin and I... uh, our good friend, Kevin, uh, actually, and I are doing a podcast called Ask Your Aunties, and part of that needs to be live. So we're giving that a go today, feeling nervous about that. So I'm going to be doing tax work and financial work all the way up to this. So hopefully I can muster through the finances so that I have enough energy to be fun on the internets. Speaking about yeah. fun. Go ahead. Speaking about fun on the internets. This interview that we are about to play for you is with Brenda. And do you pronounce her last name Davis or Davies? You said Davies. I think it's Davies. It has E-S. There we go. That's Davies. Um, who is, you know, just a creative on the internet, really, uh, but talks about the the things that um, kind of she deconstructed and uh, her own faith kind of challenges and whatnot. She talks a lot about... Um, healthy sexuality within uh, a post-Christian or Christian setting. Um, how else do you want to describe her? You're the one who introduced me to her work and it is, it's been so fun to kind of go down the rabbit hole of that. Yeah. I have enjoyed her videos of her kind of uh, something comes out right in the Christian world. That's really problematic and she'll go and break it down for you. And I really appreciate that um, because some people, well, one, I'm not really cued into the Christian world. I've kind of, um, I don't know who a Hillsong pastor is, for example. I don't know anybody. I don't care. When I deconstructed and left my small Christian university, I said, fuck it all. I'm good. Um, and I grew up in Hispanic church, so I was never all that clued in to begin with um, to the American 
you know, whatever famous people are in American Christianity. Um, so I like that she keeps me updated on what's going on and that for she puts everything in like layman's terms, right? Like anybody can understand what she's saying. Anybody can go through deconstruction without these like no offense to all the white men out there. These white men telling you what it means or whatever. So I think it's, it's approachable. Really yeah, she's really great. Yeah. Um, and she is just a doll and really fun to talk to. And has um, one of the things I love in this conversation is people um, often are afraid to leave the structures or make space for their changes because they're afraid of losing community. And so part of the conversation is about really her fear, not just of losing her Christian community because she'd already walked away, but the fear that like, not totally from the faith, but she'd walked away from that community. The fear she had in stepping into doing work within a Christian space and what that would mean for her Hollywood friends and how she was afraid of um, after stepping out of one community, finding another, losing that new community, because she kind of had that sense of like, I still want to hold on to some of the things that I believe in. So she talks about um, this vision that she had. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with people. Um, looking forward to people kind of hearing that there is community on the other side and what that means and how you can make space for yourself in that. And then if you're a community maker, how you can really use um, her examples of ways to just stay like connected with people. So with no further ado, this is our interview with Brenda Davies. But it was like re-realizing re and coming to terms with like what I actually had desired, what my actual thoughts were before my whole sexual ethic got hijacked by the church. And my whole thing now is that you're allowed to have these desires because you really can't control your desire. It's just a part of who you are. But you actually, you absolutely can figure out a holistic, healthy, um, integral way to just like make that a part of yourself and to do it with the utmost respect and con concern for both your body, your spirit, your mind, and also your partner's body and spirit and mind. And you can have a desire like that to kiss a million boys, but to also abstain because you know what you want. But the point is when you get to let go of that entire false ethic and narrative about what you're supposed to be, then it gives you the opportunity to actually become fully you. Well, friends, welcome back to the Making Spaces podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Sarah Heath, and this is the other co-host, Josie Jimenez. And today, Josie is excited to share with us our guest. Josie, will you introduce? Yes, mom. <laughs> um <laughs> I always say yes, mom, because she like likes to tell me what to do. It's funny. Um, it's funny. <laughs> Today with us, we have the incredible Brenda Marie Davies, other, aka God is Gray, if you want to check her out on Instagram. Uh, she is a YouTuber and podcaster who is championing sex-positive, intellectual-affirming faith, um, which is all the things I love in life. Thanks That's for it. coming on, Brenda. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, we love to start just by um, kind of doing what we kind of call the lob question, an easy peasy question that lets you know a lot about people. Our question is this. Uh, so we're a podcast about making spaces for people both literally and figuratively. And so we love to ask the question, 
what is one of your favorite spaces and why? Okay. (laughs) You know, this is like, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think of me, fine. I really miss nightlife. I am a major social butterfly. I just um, posted, you know, all the Bernie memes going around. There's a Bernie meme of him sitting outside of Berghain in Berlin. Do you know that spot? Yes. Um, (laughs) And actually, um, my memoir coming out on her knees, the final chapter ends at Berghain. So there's... (laughs) There's something very um, spiritual and worshipy. I think it kind of replaces that that space I used to have in church where you just get to dance unabashedly and and just be in your joy and your happiness without being judged. I think it's kind of what church was meant to be and what it used to be for me. And then replacing that with all of these other beautiful, inclusive, amazing spaces, which Berghain is like one of those ultimate kind of ones. <laughs> I miss that. That was that was my church. That was my moment to like be around everyone that I love. We actually just had this long conversation with uh, some space that they found to be that uh, kind of holy ground or holy space was uh, at concerts, which I can one hundred percent relate to. Um, concert for me can be a bit of a holy experience, but usually if it's like a band where you are dancing and you're moving your body and you're feeling that like energy of the crowd. Um, I'm saying all these things about to make myself cry. Guys, we have got to get out of this. Just get a shot, idiots. Like, <laughs> not this, like... Oh my gosh. All of these things um... are my literal worst nightmare. I don't like people touching me. <laughs> I don't like staying up late. I go to sleep at 9 p.m. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So have you been thriving in quarantine? This is like... Truly. I really have been. It's pretty embarrassing because I'm 25 years old. I should be in the middle of my prime young adult years, and I prefer to not. I don't. But you've like also taken up like that. grandma uh, hobbies, so you're like living into it. I love it. Yeah, all these uh, pillows are crocheted covers by me. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no judgment. Um, That's thriving at 25. You know, whatever it means to you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I tried though. I really tried. Sorry, dad. I tried to be a nightlife person. I tried to go to clubs and I would see somebody popping some type of pen. I'm like, you need Jesus. Away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not anti-drug, but kind of. <laughs> are you saying, are you not so, claiming you're Brenda, anti-drug? Would, that I'm not anti-drug. I said, I was, I was going to say, yeah, you're, no, you're not that. anti-drug, but keep not, going. I'm go not. ahead. You had a oh, question. You used to be- yeah, I eat a lot of weed. Anyways, um, <laughs> just FYI, everybody. <laughs> Brenda, I would love to hear um, like the elevator short pitch of how you got to be the super cool advocate with a huge platform, in my opinion. Yeah, just oh, go okay. ahead. Jump right to it. How did you start YouTubing about sexuality in the church? I mean, just go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really funny because I'm a millennial. I moved to LA with dreams of like movie stardom and stuff. So if you would have told me you're going to be a YouTuber, I would have been humiliated. I just didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think that was a real thing. But like, 
it's it's it used to be really pigeonholed it's like if you came here to do one thing you had to stick to that one thing and I love yeah. how much that it has expanded and grown and I also feel blessed because all of a sudden every single person is a youtuber like Trevor Noah is now a youtuber <laughs> out of necessity why would you so- mention my boyfriend Okay. okay, we can go well, back. <laughs> clearly he's in an open relationship because he's also mine. <laughs> I would share him with you. I feel that good about you. I would totally share him. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I like, I feel like it's brought a lot of validation to the space. And also the younger generation, like 25-year-olds, thinks it's very valid. So anyway, all I'm saying is I actually did not set out to do this. I wrote a, a book and I was trying to get it published. And the response I was getting, by the way, this is pre-Trump. So, you know, that's a lot of um, lack of understanding about like Christian nationalism and the power of evangelicalism. I think a lot of people, especially in mainstream Hollywood, didn't understand how important all these topics were. So the response I got was, we love this material, but there's no audience for it. And I was like, yes, there is. Even if there's me and 20 girls, like there's mm-hmm. there's people out there that relate to this but I didn't hear anyone speaking about it yet so I just had a very very strong sense that I wasn't alone um so I'm shopping it around and then one day I fell into one of those beautiful trances I hate this lingo that you use in evangelicalism where you get a divine download but <laughs> I, I truly detest that, but I know people still use it. And that's that's what happens. It's like, uh, I just blacked out and wrote down 40 topics. Like if I could speak to this issue, what would I talk about? And the reason I felt compelled even to think about YouTube is because I went to YouTube looking for inclusive spaces. I was like, surely I've been out of church for like over seven years. There's gotta be affirming churches. There's gotta be sex positive Christian voices. And I found... Uh, Girl Defined and Paul Morgan and um, a lot of other young white sweethearts spouting some pretty terrible toxic theology. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this space hasn't evolved since I left it. I was actually stunned. Um, so then I just blacked out, wrote down 40 topics. I was sitting with my partner and I was like, I have an idea. And I picked up a camera. I was so nervous, but I... I also had this really beautiful vision. I know this isn't the abridged version, but it's just what it is. Um, I felt like if I were to step out into this space, I saw like a square field. And I really felt God was like, if you just step into this space, you'll be out there for alone. You'll be scared. You'll be freaked out. But soon enough, I saw this like brunette woman come out of this like really dense forest and step into this really clear field with me. And, and then more people started stepping out of this forest into this field with me. We were all waving at each other. And I took that vision to me. And as soon as you step out in this boldness, which I always heard in evangelicalism, that you will have community, that you will find people out there. The first person waving to me from that field was Linda K. Klein. That was the first person I discovered that I was like, oh my God, someone else is saying the same thing that I am desperate to say. And then from there it was floodgates, you know, like Pete Enns, Nadia Bowles Weber and Kevin Garcia and Grace Baldridge and all these other phenomenal voices. Um, we're all in this field together and we're all just inviting more and more people to step out into this beautiful, vast space with us and do this discovery together. I think that's it, right? When you're in that field, um, 
it often, I think, cause you're looking to the field you just left, you haven't looked around and seen who's standing with you. I think often there's this, um, sense of, I am so alone. A lot of the work that I deconstructed Christians or people who are stepping into affirming places for the first time, uh, or stepping into inclusive spaces for the first time. And it's so interesting how they're like, there's so much here. I was told that once I started believing the way there would be zero people with me. And so, um, I think that that feels really loud and it's really easy to get stuck staring at that one, but it is so incredible to see how, once you make that space for yourself, um, like you said, it's the thing I wanted to say, but I think it's also the thing you needed to hear um, and how often we uh, don't want to attribute that to mm. some sort of divine spark in ourselves. Like, huh, why is this the thing that keeps coming up and why is that? So thank you for stepping into that. What was the reaction uh, to when you started just recording these things? What was the, like, <laughs> what? I'm just so fascinated as I went back and looked at the breadth of some of your work. The comments are pretty spicy. Oh, yeah. I don't, it's, yeah, I can tell you about comments and everything. I have a different perspective on that. But um, it was just really funny because I have been committed to just desperately wanting to be cool since I was in like elementary school. I wanted to be in the cool girl crowd and all this other stuff. And it's funny because I feel like I really devoted myself to that pursuit in LA for so many years. Like who knows if it was ever achieved, but I have so many cool friends. And when I put up my first YouTube video, I remember two particular very cool people called me <laughs> and they were both like, oh my God, what are you doing? They were like, this like, is social suicide. Why don't you put someone else's face? Like you're on YouTube, you old hag. Like what are you doing? <laughs> Guys, step into your dreams. And so a lot of... <laughs> A lot of my fear was like, I stepped out of the Christian space that used to be my family. I created this brand new, very diverse, incredible family of artists and everything in LA. But then I was afraid to step back into the religious space and lose my family that I built. But of course, you know, like we have all, I think, noticed a lot of times your quote, non-Christian friends are so much more kinder, so much more forgiving and loving than, you know the people in that Christian space. Cause everyone actually very quickly embraced me. I think it took everyone a second. They're like, this woman has lost her mind. And then they were like, Oh, okay. I see what she's doing. And, and, and it's beautiful because people have come out of the woodwork, people I would have never thought. And they're like, Oh my God, I have an evangelical past. I thought I was by myself. <clears throat> so yeah, it was kind of, I think all these spaces that you step into, if you're like pioneering something, you're not going to be sure if there's a community there waiting for you. And that's just how I felt. It was like a second uh, wave of, oh my God, I hope I don't lose my family again because I'm doing this, but it's all good. <laughs> it's so funny that people are like, oh, there's no demographic for this. Because I, I went to a small Christian college. This is a Pacific University in Los Angeles County, California. Uh, don't go there. They suck. <laughs> <laughs> you, love you met some of the greatest people there. I, don't I loved my experience, but uh, not affirming and not cool in mm -hmm. that sense. But I remember I was a friend. So I started my first step to deconstruction was uh, starting what I call my hoe phase, wherein oh, I would have yeah. um, monogamous sexual partners that I wasn't in a relationship with. Um, oh, that's your hoe phase. Okay. Yeah, that was my hoe phase. Because <laughs> I was... had a real hoe phase. I called it my tramp age. Yep. Yep. 
I was a, I don't like people that much. Well, that was always my, I think what you're learning barrier. is like, yeah, this isn't like, that's too much. Yeah. It's just the, the social interaction that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do that, but I had my hoe phase and then my friends were like, oh, now I can ask Josie all the questions about sex ever as if I was this new expert, like these little Christian people were like, Josie, what asking me all these questions and I was like I only know the vanilla sex that I have with these partners that's all I know <laughs> but I mean I was teaching people how to put in tampons because that was considered a like a different perspective that's all I'm gonna say yeah I mean mm-hmm. I it was hilarious wow but that's because they were seeking this information, right? They have never been taught anything about sex their whole lives. So as soon as they see somebody step out into the hosphere, they can ask all these questions. <laughs> I'm just going to forever call it the hosphere. I don't know where it is or what I it love is. That. It sounds like I a good it. place. Yeah. A good time. <laughs> I think there's something uh, so powerful, too, about this idea of like... Um, the reality that there's something within us that just wants to belong. We just want to belong, right? And so church can fill that for a while. Um, the LA scene, other than Josie, who of us haven't been in that scene a little bit. Um, but when we don't integrate all pieces of us, we don't belong, right? So like pre-YouTube, you wasn't fully integrated, right? You had this past that you weren't talking about. By the way, like if I could tell you how many of, particularly my friends in the LGBTQIA community were like, when I had to come out as an ex-evangelical, it was as hard as coming out mm-hmm. as a, a person who was gay. Um, because it's that fear, that moment of like, if I say the thing, what what is the cost? Mm-hmm. If I admit my truth, what is the cost? And living as a non-integrated human Um, And in some ways, I think about like even our separation from our bodies as women within the church, right? Like our flesh is bad, our mind, you know, that that sort of thing that we live with and so long, so much like there is this separation. And so integration is kind of what I feel like you talk about a lot, this idea Mm. of how do I integrate all these pieces of me until there is and people that catches on, right? There is a reason why you have a very big audience, because there are so many people sitting around going, man, like, how do I integrate that I don't think my body is something that I should abandon or leave? I mean, the number of former Christian women who deal with body issues, like, beyond, because our bodies were dangerous. I mean, my God, uh, the number of, like, talks I've heard about tape or like velcro or like, I don't know, comparing our bodies. Object exercises. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm grateful for the work that you do and for you being willing to say, but it was also hard to tell my LA friends, hey, this is part of me too. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you nurture that part of you now? Where are you finding spaces and places that you are um, able to integrate your um, connection to the divine? Oh, I mean, it's so much fun now. Like we've been given this narrative in evangelicalism, freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ. And then they shackle you really. Mm. They're like, you're free to be exactly who your evangelical youth pastor told you you're supposed to be. And that is not freedom. And also when you live with that inauthenticity, exactly what you're talking about, Sarah, it's like, you're 
you're not embodied. You're not living as your whole self. Kevin Garcia talks about it in their book too, where they're like really beautifully articulating. The book is called Bad Theology Kills. Um, now available in Spanish. They told oh, oh, that's amazing. Good. Oh my goodness. But you know, when they're talking about just how truly, deeply, profoundly painful it is to not be seen fully because all of us want to be actually truly loved so when you're withholding pieces of yourself if you're forcing yourself to be a housewife when you knew you were always made to have a career or vice versa it's like it's excruciating so one of the most important things I did with embodiment was align my sexuality and my spirituality and I wrote a lot about this in my book as well, because my Achilles heel has definitely always been sex. Sex is something that I love. I love it in great amounts. I love it with many different people. And I look back on old journals of mine from childhood or from like evangelicalism, let's say 12 and above. And I'm like, I've just always dreamed of being with one person and living happily ever after. And when I was unpacking that, I was like remembering that when I was actually... 11 right before I got quote saved into this horrible (laughs) toxic sexual ethic I used to lay in bed and fantasize that I was kissing the cutest boy in school Steve Urbanski and then (laughs) he would move shout out Steve um and he would move aside and then there would be a guy behind him and I'd kiss him and then he'd move aside and there and I was like wow that was actually what I wanted I take that as healthy or not but it was like re-realizing and coming to terms with like what I actually had desired, what my actual thoughts were before my whole sexual ethic got hijacked by the church. And my whole thing now is that you're allowed to have these desires because you really can't control your desire. It's just a part of who you are, but you actually, you absolutely can figure out a holistic, healthy, um, integral way to just like make that a part of yourself and to do it with the utmost respect and concern for both your body, your spirit, your mind, and also your partner's body and spirit and mind. And you can have a desire like that to kiss a million boys, but to also abstain because you, you know what you want. But the point is when you get to let go of that entire false ethic and narrative about what you're supposed to be, then it gives you the opportunity to actually become fully you. So my very first step was realizing, okay, when I got a divorce, because that's a part of my story, I was perfect, perfect girl. I got a divorce and my pendulum broke, swung to the other side. I went from modesty and purity culture to hookup culture. And I always use hookup culture with a negative term. That's just the way I see it. I see it as like abuse and misuse of bodies and not really fully being aligned with like who you are and what you want sexually. I want everyone to be in the middle. I want myself to be in the middle where you're just swinging back and forth, where you're experimenting, where you're free to be yourself. And you're just like moving in this really healthy way, just centered. And that really began for me on this journey when I read Linda K. Klein's book and she mentioned something about like God standing outside of the bedroom. And then she finally said, come in here. I'm going to do this act. I'm going to have sex, but I want you a part of it because 
for a long time, I'd written in my journal, like to have sex, I must abandon God to have God. I must abandon sex. They were always separate. So I took a cue from her and I was about to hook up with an idiot, <laughs> but, and I, everything inside of me was like, this guy's going to be an idiot. He's going to leave you on red. He's a dummy. And I was like, okay, but you know what? I'm here. I already know I'm going to do it. So for the very first time, God get in here, I want you to be a part of this experience. And I will say, I never did anything like that again, because then it was a fully me present. And I realized, oh, I didn't, I shouldn't have not done that because it's a sin and I'll burn in hell. I should have not done that because when I'm truly aligned with my spirit, I knew it wasn't going to honor me. I knew it wasn't going to bring me joy and fulfillment and peace. And that is what I deserve. And that's what I want for myself because I can't live in these rules and restrictions. They have to come from within. Like I so often say, you cannot build a sexual ethic on fear. You can't build anything on a foundation of fear, no but sex, yeah, that doesn't, that's not real. That's why so many pastors quote fall. That's why the church uh, in Catholicism and beyond, I mean, every church is having these massive sexual scandals. You cannot give people a list of rules about their sexuality. They have to fully understand why they are doing what they're doing and actually believe it and want it for themselves yeah it's this um you know a the thing that pains me the most is fear as far as dealing with people and um helping them integrate all these things and it's what hurts most is this idea of this all loving god and then so you should just be afraid of that all loving god <laughs> yeah and, not only that, but like your ideas about that all loving God are scary and therefore your ideas should be feared. And then mm -hmm. also, and it's just like, that's all this fear is built up in people. And then you do see this pendulum, right? You see this like, okay, well, if nothing is okay, then everything is okay. It's like this thing that people have to go through. And I realize it's part of, for some people, it's part of the process, right? Of coming to like the middle. I had a professor in grad school who like used to say really far out things because he wanted to get us here. So he'd like mm -hmm. say theology, Stanley Hauerwas. By the way, if you ever want to see someone cuss with like extreme skill, Dr. Stanley Hauerwas, he's great. <laughs> First day of class, we walk in, he's like, I just want you to know that everything you say is shit. And we're like, great, <laughs> perfect. He's like, you didn't, you know, everyone else is going to tell you, I'm going to teach you how to think. I don't care how you think you pay me to hear how I think. And we were all like, dude, that's, <laughs> that's Josie energy right there. It's so much Josie energy. That's so, so funny. So much Josie energy. Yeah. But I think, and he would take us to these places where you go, I don't know that I can go there with you, but I can go here with you. And I think our own bodies and minds do that. And I think the more and more we lead with fear, the more and more we're not sure ourselves, the number of leaders who have to be so strict about i mean we're seeing with this um and i can never remember his name and so i am so sorry this is the crass way to remember this guy justin bieber's pastor who has like i could carl uh, lentz thank you i could identify that man's junk you know like if there was nope. a lineup just from photos like that yeah dude, he, i mean so much information um he but i think he is a victim of this don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, but it's in me, but it's in me, but it's in me. Mm -hmm. And so then it doesn't go away. It just gets darker, right? What's of the light is light. So when we tell the truth, when we're honest, when we're open, 
you know, Kevin, <laughs> they are great. Kevin always says to me, just say what you want. <laughs> and I'm, mm-hmm. but I have this practice of just being honest with myself allows me to be honest with the world. And, you know, the truth is people really never accepted you because they didn't know you. Right. And so all this fear, all this stuff, it's, it's all fake and phony and I hate to say it, but those who are yelling the loudest are usually the freakiest and like have the darkest stuff going on. And they're just yelling mm-hmm. so that no one will listen, like pay attention to their own lives. I mean, I'll never forget one of my favorite uh, moments was at a party with someone who, uh, Mark Driscoll, who was this pastor who just, the way he talked about women mm-hmm. was disturbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things he actually said is one of the problems with marriage is we need more blowjobs. And um, which... <sighs> Sure, if that's your thing, but um, then my friend who had not decided to work with him as a publisher had actually fired Mark as a client. We were sitting talking and someone else was like, I just got to think this guy has a freaky sex life. We all started thinking about it. We're like, yeah, he does. He's got to, because why would you talk so much about something unless it was something that you needed to get out and process? I think Mm -hmm. you're asking great questions. So people start asking them of themselves, but also of the leaders, like the people and it's not a, you know, shame and blame of like, hey, you fell into it. It's like a, hey, I've been there. That was part of my story. Here's where I've ended up. Um, yeah. I know I heard someone just recently say that researchers are just selfish people because they're just always going to research what is what they need and then mm-hmm. output that to the world, which that's what it is. Like all of my my research is like obsession with sex. And it's like, well, yeah, that's that's my obsession. That's what I'm really into. Yeah. But but yeah, to your point, like that's why um hate comments don't bother me because uh my friend Alexis Gizal, we did a little um YouTube video together and I just showed her Christian cringe because she's totally on the outside of it. She's queer, fully at peace, never had the the baggage that we did. And she was like, if you're yelling about gay sex, don't you think you want gay sex? And I thought about it and I was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, I've never yelled at the top of my lungs about gay sex. I've never been on boards screaming about people like how it has, you know, it's, but I've done it in different areas that are important to me. So I kind of, I tend to agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It's my mother funny. always says me thinks that does protest too much. Anytime, yeah. you know, I grew up in, so I grew up Canadian um, until I, we moved, I'm still Canadian, but I was 14 when we moved to the States and we moved to the South. So I moved from Canada to Mississippi. So cultural, like Ooh. what the hell? <laughs> um, but one of the things that was very, I'd be like, mom, why are they so obsessed with drinking and sex? And my mom was like, me thinks thou does protest too much. And she would also pick on us. If we would talk about a house, like, oh, that boy is so dumb. My mom would just look at us like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah truth is the thing that our you know where our mind goes our energy goes where our heart goes like where we're so we gotta I think sometimes question the things that we're scandalized by and ask like why does that matter um why is it so important to me that I try to control other people's way of living like what is that um in us is it that I want health and healing and wholeness for them and then is it about questions instead about fear I think I have never been able to convince people of anything by me setting out rules. And if I have, it's been for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But when we invite people into like, maybe there's a bigger narrative, I think people are more apt to come. Like you said, the pendulum swings 
And we sometimes it's just like a wrecking ball and you just gotta let people come through, <laughs> do mm-hmm. your thing and wait. And that's, I think one of the gifts of age for me is being able to see like some of the people that were loudest are now the ones who have come back and been like, hey, remember how like the way you thought scared me? I'm there now, can you help me? Can you help me get there? Or can you help me understand how you got there? Um, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. And that's why I never want to vilify anyone that's going through it because I was doing anti-abortion artwork in high school. I was arguing with my biology teacher about a six day earth. I was praying on the front lawn of my school. So if I were Mm -hmm. to get mad at people now for doing the same thing, that would be very hypocritical for me. I just see really impassioned people that, that really do wholeheartedly want something good that they just need to break free of the toxic theology. Yeah. I mean, there is a sense that they're, like I said, as much a victim of, of exactly what you're saying, the thing that they're yelling about. Um, we very early on, actually, Josie, you weren't on the podcast yet, but I interviewed one of my dearest friends who's a designer. Uh, his, oh, guys, the way he designs a room, it's unbelievable. Mm. But Riley um, grew up in a very conservative Texan Christian Riley's very good looking, tall, very gay. Um, (laughs) And he lived such a repressed life for so long. He's like, Sarah, I performed an (laughs) anti-abortion rap (laughs) that that I would, you know, and I just was trying to fit in so bad, actually worked for Saddleback for a while, like tried Mm. so hard. And I find that people like Riley have this compassion and almost nostalgia for folks and um, real empathy that we have to learn how to have when we can say, oh man, I've been there, I get it. I get where you're coming from. I'm not there, but man, that seems like it's a difficult place to be. Um, yeah. And when I'm my best self, that's my reaction to critique. When I'm my worst <laughs> self, and I'm Josie. I'm just kidding, Josie, you're not. <laughs> oh, I'm aggressive. The other day, Sarah and I had a, a Facebook interaction with somebody who was trying to attack me because they said I like gay people and they they were this dude that I used to go to church with at a Baptist church I I started Pentecostal and then I swung Baptist because that wasn't my jam and then that also wasn't my jam Uh, and now Sarah's my pastor and my boss which is funny but so she it was hilarious my boss (laughs) <laughs> you may work for me but you are my boss <laughs> Love it. but he kept coming after me coming after me coming after me and I kept trying to place this boundary saying like hey dude I know what you believe you know what I believe I'm not gonna change your mind and you're coming off real aggressive so I'm not gonna have this conversation and he kept coming after me coming after me and he then tried to go after Sarah and then I tried to go after the guest that we had on the podcast And his idea was, oh, well, you posted this podcast on the internet, so it's public consumption, and therefore you and your time are public consumption, which is this whole idea that I feel men in the church have around women is that we are always for public consumption, whether they believe it or not, whether they say it or not, I guess I should say, they always think that women are for them, that women's sexuality is theirs virginity is important because it makes like it frames everything as like you are a commodity that I am to consume and if somebody else has consumed you you're not worth my time or effort and I I mean yeah 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I've never met that guy. Like that sounds like the ideology to me, or maybe what someone might present online, but, um, I have so much compassion for men and in, um, this book by Peggy Ornstein, are you familiar with her work? Mm -mm. Oh, she's incredible. Highly recommend a long time ago. I think about 12 years ago, she researched maybe a thousand, uh, pre-adolescent and adolescent women and called it girls and sex. And she really blew the lid off a lot of different things about desire and sexual activity and that age range and like all this research that no one had really done before. And in the preface to her new book, Boys and Sex, she admittedly says, you know, I always saw men as the enemy. They were the reason women were in so much pain because of our patriarchal system. And especially in the church with all this horrible ideology that their, our virginity does belong to them. And we are commoditized in that way. And is that a word commoditized? <laughs> I'm not sure. Not it is now. We are, <laughs> Why am I acting like I would know? <laughs> I just get I just, paid to talk. If it doesn't exist, I just coined it. We know what I'm talking about. But, um, but yeah, she was like, and then suddenly it hit her like a ton of bricks. Like they may be the problem, but what are they going through? What is being perpetuated? What are they learning that is making them the problem? Can we get to the root, the rotten root of that so that they stop hurting women and they stop hurting themselves? and it's heartbreaking to read this book because the the scripts that men are given there's even studies that show that infant boys actually display way more emotional receptiveness than infant girls mm. so this is what I talk about like people reading the bible upside down and when we talk about the enemy like satan coming in to destroy things to me, this is one of those most clear things, whether or not you ascribe to the belief of Satan, I would call it the antagonist. Yes. Whatever it is, whatever force it is that is always out for us, that voice in our head that is like, you're a piece of garbage. You're supposed to do X, Y, and Z, or you're not loved by anyone that exists daily in our heads. And I, I think it's fascinating, but it also plays off of all these these scripts given and men are given such rough scripts and even she interviewed like eight-year-old boys that have been exposed to pornography or 10-year-old boys and they're like I thought girls wanted flowers and they want you to be sweet but do they want you to bang them against the wall and like spit on them because I they, they seem to be enjoying that like the amount of confusion that these poor sweethearts who used to have more emotional capacity than a lot of their female counterparts ends up, you know, under this repressive system that hurts them. And it's that old adage, hurt people, hurt, hurt people. people. And until we heal both with a lot of the feminine energy, there's such a huge spiritual swing into the feminine right now. And it is crucial for the healing of the earth, for the healing of our environments and for our emotional health. And I'm just excited we're all part of it. And I want to welcome men into that fold so yes, much because yes. they need the healing so they can stop hurting us and stop hurting each other. I think toxic masculinity has been um, harder on men in some ways. And that's the, mm -hmm. uh, to think that being for women is against men, right? Yeah. Is mm -hmm. um, It is a false dichotomy. Uh, it is absolutely false dichotomy. And to think that 
men who can embody a healthy sense of feminine energy, the, the jokes. And you know, what's interesting is I've noticed the joke, the guys that like pick on the other guy for being a little bit sensitive. It's almost this sadness of why I, I can't, can we do that? Is that permissive? Yeah. Uh, kids, when they joke, it's often because they're trying to create a boundary. So they make mm -hmm. a joke and then look around like, is this okay? Is this the boundary? How do I do this? That's why I love kids humor so much. Cause they're like, uh, poop. Oh, that got a reaction, <laughs> right? Um, and I think men have been oftentimes uh, just not allowed to cry. The, mm. Now when someone, when someone, when a guy tells me, I mean, I used to think I, you know, I bought into the whole Nicholas Sparks looking for the tough guy that never cried and has a tough background. Um, and then I, I did a pendulum swing to like, oh, you're writing in your journal in the corner at Starbucks. It looks like you're a little emotionally damaged. I'm um, I think there is the sense of like, we have to stop acting like the tropes are true for all people. So well, amen. how you experience your emotion is how you experience your emotion is how you experience your emotion. And little guys that are sensitive are it's great and beautiful and wonderful. And um, I've, I've noticed, I've tried to start using language, you know, cause I, I read a, another book and I cannot remember about even the like language we use around babies. So for instance, this baby is strong when it's a boy, this baby is beautiful when it's a girl and sort of even those messaging like, oh, I need to be strong. And the opposite of strong is what, right? Um, you know, I remember the first time uh, I found out I was a little girl true story. It's because in my neighborhood was mostly boys and they would say like, you throw like a girl, you, you know, when they were making fun of each other. And so we were playing star Wars and one of the little boys said, Sarah, you can't be Han. You have to be princess Leia. And I said, why? And he said, cause you're a girl. And I hit him and said, I'm not a girl and started <laughs> screaming. Um, and then my mom had to pick up little Sarah, who's like fists, like oh. raging in the air. <laughs> And my mom is like, oh no, because my parents tried so hard to like help us with like not gender conformity, you know, and my mom's like, we probably should have told her that like being a girl is okay. Cause I was like, I am not a girl. I'm not a girl, which I was like super girly in so many like gender stereotyped girly ways. But I thought girl was such an offensive word. And in the same way, boy shouldn't be an offensive word, word. And like the idea that like just embody yourself, whatever that looks like. And, and I'm not going to define that for you just as you shouldn't define it for me. And I think you're right. This toxic masculinity harms men as much as it harms women and sexuality between and with, you know, there's all these things that when we try to define life for other people get just really messy. Um, and then people do rage at you, but you know what, Josie being called a what was it? He called me not a heretic. A false prophet. Oh, a false oh prophet. I love that one. It's a Monday. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, like, literally, I was like, oh, it's Monday. I get called a false prophet again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's good. It's a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, my friend always sends me that meme of, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> and that was actually, he sent me that meme in relation to you, Josie. Why is that guy so obsessed with her? <laughs> and I think it's true. Wow. It's uh, sometimes freedom when people see freedom, they want it so bad for themselves. They know nothing to do other than to react emotionally with it. And because we haven't taught people how to process our emotions in a way that doesn't affect other people, they just rage. It's the emotion yeah. they know, that's the emotion they've been allowed to have. Um, and it is, it's sad. So now that we've fixed patriarchy, um, <laughs> I would, you know, just, just a standard 
standard day for you, really. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear if you had like one tip, cause we're getting towards the end. If you have one tip, one thing, um, that you think people could do to make themselves like space for themselves or others, um, in this area or any area you can think of what's like a one tangible way that people can make space for other people. Oh, that's a really, really good question. Um, I just like, I guess what's coming to mind is throwing out all of our scripts, which is so hard. It's an arduous, long process. And I'm on my like 12th year of deconstruction, which I used to call my prodigal son journey because I didn't have the terminology deconstruction yet. And, um, but a part of that to me, like one of the most significant brand new lessons that I learned in prayer and on this journey was to embrace the concept of non-binary. And I'm from Philly. So I have this like cynicism about all kinds of things. It's just kind of regionally baked into you. <laughs> like I remember like poo-pooing animal rights when I was like eight years old or something. Cause all of the like women wanted to wear their fur coats in Philly or something. And then I look back and I was like, that's so funny. I just took that on like, eh, yeah, animal activists, like screw them. So it's like, <laughs> we're given so many scripts. And, and one of mine was this cynicism. We're cynical about any sort of progressive ideas or hippies or weird or liberals. Like all, I grew up in that kind of vibe. And um, so when I heard non-binary, cause I have a big Gen Z audience, I was annoyed I really was I was like I was like what the hell are you guys talking about now like it was it was the most major obstacle for me I couldn't wrap my head around it and I learned about so many other concepts that were admittedly brand new to me like I didn't know anything about trans rights or the prison industrial complex or all these different wonderful things that I have so to speak woken up to over these past three years or longer and this was the new thing that I was like, like my little Gen Z girls, them, <laughs> whoever were like signing their emails with like they, them or hit her, she. And I was just like, why are we doing this all of a sudden? This is ridiculous. All of that said, I just want to share the journey, like to say that I can be woke, but it's still a process. We're all in the process of waking up. Like I was asleep. I woke up and I, and I wasn't liking what I was seeing when I was waking up. I wasn't getting it. And it really just came to me in prayer because I sat with it. And that's something that I devote myself to that I would encourage everyone to like when something offends you or something is brought to your attention that, that just like stirs your spirit in some crazy way. It is likely not because it is wrong. It's more likely that it's right. And it's just assaulting your sensibility because it's just new and it's, and it's weird and you just have to like get in there. So instead of bucking it and being like, screw them, I'm not going on this journey with them. Obviously I can't do that. I got to go on the journey with my people. So I sat down in prayer and like, it was just so simple. God was like, well, I'm non-binary. And, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, damn, because I've known that for a while. I long ago had gotten rid of this idea that God was a, a guy with balls and a dick like that. That <laughs> very clearly sense. That is like my favorite game to play, by the way, with um, particularly <laughs> male uh, guys who are like, well, why do you 
I mean, heat language, like, is it so hard? Cause you're a leader, you're, you don't have balls, blah, blah. And I'm always like, why does God have sexual organs? Yeah. Like, what, is, <laughs> what is God doing with those? Where are they? Like, and yeah. I was like, never thought of it that far. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so limiting. And especially because of the scripts that we're given, like if you have to call God, your father and you have daddy issues, like maybe that's not, not only comfortable for you, but maybe that's just outright wrong for you. Maybe that's not the way you tap into divinity because it doesn't work for you. We are all so different. We have such a vast and different group of experiences that we're bringing into this world. And we have a right to explore terminology and identities that that make sense for us that help us get even closer to who we are like moving even from the prodigal son journey language to deconstruction and then finding my family and being like oh my god there's so many other people using this terminology it made me feel like I had a home again that I was safe in this space and the same thing with non-binary like to me I'm like you know what? I believe life is just a journey and we all have agreed to go on this wild adventure together and we are just exploring. And as you learn more, you look at it, you explore it, you get curious about it. You don't dig your heels in and say no. And in this way, I was like, you know, if we're all getting closer to divinity, then doesn't this just mean that when my non-binary people are calling themselves that, that they are just even closer to understanding their own divinity, that they are not beholden to these scripts that you're given. And it is limiting. If you're a girl, then what does that mean? You can't play a certain like role in the star Wars game. That's stupid. Why, why not? Like, and why does your male, your leader have to be a male? It's again, because of these gender scripts. So anyway, it's like, I don't, I don't see myself calling myself non-binary. Who knows? Life is long. I have no idea. But it, it suddenly became beautiful. I was like, oh, I get it. This is just our rejection, their rejection of these scripts. And um, also, I found it offensive for a bit because I felt as a really like hardworking woman that's always woman that's always like taking care of myself and paid all of my own bills. I was like, well, when someone wants to be, wants to be quote unquote, non-binary, aren't they just saying that women are weak? Like, oh, I don't want to be a woman. I don't want to identify with that because I want to be stronger. So I just had to wrestle with all of that and just, and just expand and learn and wake up and, and get excited about the way that people are seeing divinity and the way people are seeing that divinity manifesting in themselves and in their own lives. I love that. Get curious, let go of scripts, and then be willing to move, however that is. And then be willing to move again because yeah, you never arrive, guys. That's the hard part. Yeah, I could look back on a bunch of things and be like, whoo, I was wrong, but I'm prepared and and down to admit that if and when the time comes. And you're allowed to be wrong. You're allowed to go on this adventure. And you know, that whole thing about like why do bad things happen to good people? I don't believe that anymore because if you see life as a grand adventure, I think you start noticing how you do invite some toxic things into your life sometimes. Like I've had abusive boyfriends. It is not my fault, quote unquote, but it's like you, you, you are on an adventure. You are excavating your own heart and your own upbringing and your own past. And sometimes that manifests in some dark ways and that's okay too. Like those are all invitations. We have invitations to shame, pain, and fear. 
we can wallow in those. We could build a structured religion off of those three things, but we also have an invitation to love and exploration and, and divine acceptance of yourself and other people. And I'd much rather choose the latter path. <laughs> I love it. Well, Brenda, where can people find your work? When is your, how can they get your book? Tell us all the good things. Yeah, so my book is called On Her Knees, Intentional Double Entendre. Love it. See what you did there. (laughs) Yes, it's very uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and Jesus. Um, My life's motto. (laughs) There you go. It's on uh, Amazon and Barnes Noble. It's available for pre-order. Kevin Garcia wrote a beautiful endorsement for me as well as... Jamie Lee Finch and Pete Enns and all these other phenomenal people um, supporting it. So I'm so excited to share it with everybody. And then, of course, my YouTube is weekly. That is God is Gray, G-R-E-Y on YouTube, Instagram at God is Gray. And that's it. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much for, um, yeah, just being here for enduring our terrible winter here in California. (laughs) (laughs) Struggle together. Uh, It has been wonderful. Uh, Josie, how can people get in touch with us? What are ways that they can follow along on our Making Space journey? Well, first of all, Sarah, they can uh, find us at (laughs) makingspacespodcast.com. Um, where you'll find everything, but you can also find us on Instagram, Making Spaces Podcast. Um, you can find us at our feed is anchor.fm slash making spaces, patreon.com slash making spaces podcast. Give us your money and we'll give you stuff in return. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, you can find Sarah at Rev Sarah Heath on Instagram and me at Josie Takes the World. Uh, yeah, that's it. Find us. Please. You know I make you do that because I'm old and I can't remember things, right? <laughs> I feel like I forgot something, but it's fine. It's we'll great. It out. You did great. Well, uh, thank you again. Thank again. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you next week where we will be saving a space for you. Thank oh, you. Bye. Friend. Bye. Space makers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing, friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at thejshop.thej. J, just the letter, J. You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code makingspacepod for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings and they're such a statement piece and people will be definitely making space for you in these.